So here we are in that kind of in-between time between Christmas and New Year. Uh, the Christmas decorations are still up, but Christmas itself has once again come and gone. And so today we're taking things a little slower, a little more comfortable, a little more relaxed. Hence the couch and the coffee. And yes, there is coffee in the cup. Uh, and hopefully I'll think about it and take a sip as we're going. Let me ask, how was your Christmas? You know, sometimes during the school year, I might ask one of my kids how their school day had gone. You know, kind of making conversation and how was your day? Uh, and every now and then, one of them will respond by simply saying, blah. You know, how was the day? It was blah. Kind of uneventful. A little disappointing, maybe. Uh, no real fun or excitement. It just kind of happened. And I wonder for how many of us, Christmas has been a little bit blah. You know, we, we weren't able to do the things we wanted to do. For many of you, I know you weren't able to see family. Uh, and, and most of us have really not had the Christmas we had hoped for or even the Christmas we were used to. Uh, my, my thought is perhaps Christmas has been a bit blah. And so in response and kind of thinking through well, what message do I bring? What word do I bring at a time like this in this kind of in-between season? I, I kind of felt, well, it should probably be one that's encouraging. Uh, find a passage of scripture that helps encourage us. And in a moment, well, actually at the end of this morning's message, I'm going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And the only reason I'm doing that is because in my own reading, in my own time in Scripture over the last few weeks, obviously I've spent a lot of time looking at Christmas. You know, we had Advent in the build-up to the Christmas day and looking forward to that day with anticipation and expectation. And so much was focused on Christmas. And so in my own reading, I was encouraged by kind of ending up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and, and just seeing the encouragement that the Apostle Paul gives to this church in Thessalonica. And hopefully this morning or today, there would be some encouragement for each one of us out of this passage. You know, before I get into that passage, the story is told of a man who was in a little bit of a rut in his job. Uh, things weren't really going the way that he had hoped. There. It was kind of a dead-end uh, job and one day he gets a call from his boss about an incredible new opportunity in a new market overseas uh, and so the boss kind of gives it to him and, and gives him this opportunity and this offer and of course he's kind of weighs up the odds and he goes well where I am is sort of going nowhere it's a bit of a dead end uh, and I've kind of got that backing of my own boss so I think I'm going to go for it. So he kind of wraps up his affairs and gets everything in order and, and makes his way sort of across the pond and, and lands in a new country. And so he heads into this town uh, where he's going to start and sort of tries to create this new market. And, but he finds sort of resistance. You know, there are very few people that are subscribing uh, to what he's, he's presenting and very few people kind of taking a real interest not only are there very few people taking an interest, he, he discovers that the competition is fierce. Uh, and, and the competition is a little bit cutthroat, actually. 
And in this town, you know, one event kind of takes place and, and the competition ends up beating him up and in such a way that has him jailed and imprisoned. So in the middle of the night in jail, he calls his boss and kind of, you know, this is what's going on. And so his boss arranges for his release. And thankfully, the next day he's released. But the town is not happy with him. And they tell him, no, you've you got to leave. You've got to, you know, so undiscouraged. He sort of goes, OK, I'll, I'll move on. And he moves on to a new town. And he, he tries to kind of sell that idea there and, and hopes to find better opportunities in the market. And, and at first, it seems like things are going well in this new town. A couple of important people are sort of buying into what he's presenting and what he's selling. And so he sees this progress happening. But again, the competition comes in and the competition are really not happy with what he's, he's presenting. And so they end up instigating a full-blown riot in the town. And, and of course, he's now kind of chased out because of this. So he goes to another city and discovers pretty much the same in this third city. You know, in the fourth city where he goes to, well, now his ideas are just openly mocked. Uh, and, and there's almost no buy-in, almost no subscribing. And of course, by now, this man's kind of questioning. He's like, well, you know, my boss said there was this wonderful opportunity. Uh, you know, I came thinking this would be great. This would be a real opportunity and a real future. And well, it's just going nowhere. And, and kind of I'm just being chased from town to town. And, and this, is, this is really challenging. What's, what's going on? And and so he presses on into this fifth town, and, and yeah, there's a little promising start, but again, the same competition and the same resistance, and by now, he's completely discouraged. You know, what started as being encouraged and going for it, well, now he's, he's almost ready to give up. And that night, his boss gives him a call, and his boss kind of speaks to him and responds, and, and his boss says to him this, don't be afraid, Paul. Don't let them silence you. Speak boldly, for I have many people in the city. I will be with you, and therefore no one will be able to attack you or harm you. We find that in Acts chapter 18, verse 9 to 10. And of course, by now you can tell this, this man, this story is the Apostle Paul. And it's his journey in Acts, starting from his travels into Asia Minor. You know, the Apostle Paul wanted to go off in several new areas, but the Lord kept saying no, and, and he kind of kept brushing up against this immovable wall and sort of, where am I going? What's going on? And, and God gives him a vision to cross over into Macedonia and to kind of go to these five cities and to proclaim the gospel. And we read of Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and Corinth. And by the time the uprising against him in Corinth happens, Paul has been beaten, he's been imprisoned, he's been mocked, he's been hunted down, he's been chased out of town. And certainly if anybody had a reason to be discouraged, it would be the Apostle Paul. And so the words of the Lord come to the Apostle Paul and they come to encourage Paul at exactly the right moment. You know, the success of the mission didn't depend on Paul's abilities, but rather it was on the sovereign power and the call of God. In fact, the call and the power of God would be demonstrated through Paul's weaknesses 
And at precisely the time when Paul thought he was failing and Paul was going nowhere, well, that's when God's power would come through. You know, when God calls people, God calls for his purpose, regardless of what we might think and what it might look like to outside eyes. God has a purpose and a plan. And, you know, Paul might look back and, and Paul might kind of think, well, he's really struggled to establish this work in these other cities. And we know, reading through Acts, that Paul left Luke behind to strengthen what he had began in Philippi. And Paul was particularly concerned about Thessalonica. And so uh, Paul sends Timothy to go. And, and we understand through reading these letters that Paul didn't anticipate much from the Thessalonian church and from Thessalonica. In fact, it's almost like Paul's expecting the worst. Paul's expecting just this terrible message, this terrible update from Timothy. But he's delighted and he's surprised at the word Timothy brings, at this message that Timothy shows and says things are going well. The church is, is growing. There's faith. There's this work. There's this perseverance. And, and so because of this success that is not dependent on Paul, but the success of what God has been doing there, Paul is encouraged. And so Paul quickly jots down this letter that we know as First Thessalonians to send back to the church. Just as Paul has been encouraged and just as Paul has been strengthened, so the Apostle Paul wants to encourage this little church. And he wants to spur them on. Paul the encouraged becomes Paul the encourager. You know, he knows the severe trials of the church. And this church has undergone in his absence the trial of, of political power and Rome, Roman influence and all of those. And so Paul wants to encourage the believers to continue, to persevere through their own doubts and through their own trials. Paul understood that the same Lord who saw him through this journey that seemed to be going nowhere would be the same Lord that would persevere and encourage the Thessalonians to go on. And, and it would be the same Lord that would build in them and through them. And so Paul begins by reminding them that he, he constantly prays for them and he constantly remembers them in his prayers. And now he's even more encouraged even as he prays for them. You know, Paul mentions that their faith, the faith of this church in Thessalonica, is demonstrated by its vitality in their work for the Lord, which is motivated by love. And not only is there this faith and love, but there's this hope. And this hope allows them to endure all sorts of hardships that they face. You know, Paul does in this opening to 1 Thessalonians what many pastors do in, in the middle of a sermon. You know, they might pray their sermon as they pray for their people and, and they want people to hear those prayers because those prayers become the encouragement. And this is what Paul does for this little church, reminding them that, that they are loved by God, that regardless of what's going on around them, they're chosen by God. God cares for them as individuals and God cares for them as a, as a church. And this love that God has for them is proved in the outworking of the Holy Spirit in their midst. It's a little bit about kind of what I mentioned a few weeks ago in, in the Advent topic of love. It's very easy to tell someone we love them, but that love, true love, is demonstrated in action. 
And both God and Paul demonstrate to this church their incredible love. Paul demonstrates love for the Thessalonian church by sending Timothy back to them. Undoubtedly, Paul had a lot to do in Corinth. And not only did Paul have a lot to do in Corinth, but Paul had churches in all these cities that he cared for and that he was leading and that he was kind of teaching and speaking into. But Paul shows his love for the Thessalonians by pausing and writing this letter that we have, these, in fact, two letters of First and Second Thessalonians. As Paul lays aside what he needs to do to personally encourage this church. And of course, we, we read in Thessalonians this demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the Thessalonians. And of course, this certifies Paul's apostleship over them, uh, that the Holy Spirit is at work through Paul and in them and through them. Uh, we understand that there were those in the city who doubted Paul's kind of commitment to them and And Paul was prohibited from coming, prevented from coming, Paul would say, by Satan himself. And of course, there are those in Thessalonica who doubt and they go, oh no, Paul doesn't love us, he's not coming. And so Paul wants to say, no, I do love you, I care for you. Let me encourage you as I I write to you. And so Paul writes this letter. And of course, Paul also speaks about their endurance, their endurance of suffering. And even that endurance of suffering becomes this point of encouragement. It becomes this positive example to not only the church in Thessalonica, but the church across Macedonia and across Asia Minor. In fact, when we read through this letter, we see that the Christian gospel, this message of faith, this message of hope in Jesus Christ, it's authenticated not only in the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's authenticated in endurance through persecution. You know, a faith worth dying for is a faith worth living by. For many in our world today, we we sort of buy into this idea of a a theology of glory alone, uh, that everything's good, everything's positive. You know, we're just going to get more and more and we're going to grow and we're going to be blessed and all's going to be well. That's not the theology of the gospel as we read through Scripture. Yes, indeed, there is glory. Yes, indeed, we're, we're called to eternity, to this glory with Christ. But there's also the cross. There's pain, there's hardship. And we're called to endure the hardship. In fact, Paul reminds the church in Rome and, and reminds the Romans that when we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. And so the, the Thessalonians are commended by, fall, by Paul sorry, that their faith embraces both glory and embraces the cross. And by embracing both glory and the cross, this becomes this contagious faith that the community looks at and the community around wants to know what's the reason and what's working, what's happening over here. And the church is able to point back to Jesus Christ. The the Christian gospel is not some romantic escape novel. It's not this romantic thing of, oh, it'll all be beautiful and pleasurable. No, there is pain and, and there are hardships. Yet Jesus encourages us and Jesus reminds us to keep our eyes fixed on him. Because when we're fixed on him, that's when we will discover glory even through the hardships. 
And so in those times of discouragement, as indeed this church is going through, it is important for us to be reminded of whose we are and where we're going and what's to look forward to in the future. And indeed, through the Advent season that we've just gone through, we've looked towards Christmas morning. And now Christmas morning has come and gone. But the reminder of Advent is we don't only look forward to the immediate coming Christmas. We are reminded that Christmas promises, Christmas assures us that just as Christ once came to earth, so Christ is coming again. And Christ will call his children to be with him in glory for eternity. You know, and so and this is why Paul encourages the church. Now, of course, if, if we read just these first few verses that we're going to read in a moment in isolation, we would think everything is going well for this church in Thessalonica. They've got it all together, and Paul is just blown away, and he only encourages them. <laughs> but, of course, that's not the truth. This church has struggles. This church has issues. And so Paul has to speak into those issues. Paul has to rebuke and correct a couple of problems. You know, one example from the letter is while they were commended for waiting for the return of Christ, they were getting some things wrong in their waiting for that return. You know, in chapter 4, uh, Paul has to deal with them because some are mistakenly believe that only those who are physically alive when Jesus returns will be taken and called to glory. Uh, there's this idea that, what well, if they've passed away, well, they're lost. And of course, Paul goes, no, not at all. That's not at all the case. Even those who've passed away in the Lord will be reunited in that return of Christ. Uh, but not only do they get that wrong, there are others in the church who have this idea that, well, Jesus is coming back so soon, so we may as well give up our work and just kind of stop doing what we're doing, and we'll just freeload over what's happening. And Paul rebukes them. In fact, Paul reminds them that when he was with them, when he was in Thessalonica trying to establish the church, Paul worked hard day and night for the gospel. Paul refused to freeload off anyone. Paul didn't want to take away from others or use up others' resources. Paul wanted to contribute. And so Paul explains to this church, even as we wait for the return of Christ, don't freeload. Don't just sit back and think, oh, I'll just wait. No, work day and night. And of course, uh, Paul kind of speaks and, and talks about boasting in what the Lord has done. Reminding the church, don't boast in human endeavor. Don't boast in what you've done in and of yourselves because that just leads to idolatry. Uh, any boasting is done in the Lord because it's God at work in this congregation. It's God at work establishing and developing. And it's a gift from God. And so Paul realizes and understands that he needs to bring correction as part of encouragement. We would read this in Hebrews, uh, that those who are corrected, those who are rebuked, are family. You know, a good parent disciplines their child because of their love, and they correct their child because of their love. And so even as Paul encourages, so Paul corrects and, and brings them to a full understanding. So how do you and I face discouragement? You know, I, I spoke about 
perhaps we've gone through a bit of a black Christmas this year. I have no doubt that for many of us watching today, we are discouraged. Things just aren't going the way we had hoped. Things aren't going in the way we had longed for. We're just worn out and and overwhelmed of everything around us. And we, we wish things would go back to the way they were. We wish for the good old days. How do we deal with discouragement? How do we face discouragement? Well, I think too often for many of us, we, we resort to complaining, uh, to getting hard and bitter. And as we're discouraged, so we discourage others. It's kind of that old expression of nothing helps a bad mood like spreading it around. That's what we do. Yet Paul would challenge us and and Paul would maybe want us to learn the lesson that we face discouragement by being encouraged by Christ and by his word. And then we go on to encourage others. Yes, sure, we don't deny the reality. We don't deny that things aren't going the way we had hoped, but we don't dwell in that. We don't get absorbed by that. We, We remind ourselves as the gospel reminds us that we have a hope. We have a future glory. We have a presence in the, in the presence of Christ for all eternity in this place of glory. And so in hope, we encourage towards that. We live in light of eternity. Yeah. Like King David in many of the Psalms, we encourage ourselves in the Lord. We need to remind ourselves that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purposes. Paul doesn't say all things are good. Well, not at all. But he says God uses all experiences we go through, both good and bad, to work to his purpose, to bring forth something that is glorious, something for his purpose and something that ultimately does benefit us. When we've been encouraged in the Lord, we need to learn and realize that we are to encourage others around us. If you have your Bibles with you, why don't you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I'm going to read from just the the 10 verses. Paul... Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction." You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. 
For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from the idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. My brothers and sisters, regardless of how you might feel at the moment, regardless of the Christmas season that we've just gone through, my prayer for you is may you be encouraged in Christ. And as you are encouraged in Christ and the hope of glory, may you learn to go out and encourage those around you. Encourage those around you to remain steadfast in hope, to endure with perseverance as we all cling to Christ, the hope of glory. Amen. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, in this time of discouragement for many of us, things haven't worked out in the way we had hoped, in the way we had longed. For many of us, there is the heartache of going through a Christmas season away from family, away from loved ones. For many of us, it has been a lonely time. My God, I pray that each one of us would be reminded that though we may have very little and though we may have no one around us, God, we still have you. And therefore, we have hope for we have everything we need in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that you would encourage us by your Holy Spirit in the gospel. Encourage us in the grace we have in Christ Jesus. Encourage us in the life we have in Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray that as we dwell on this glory, as we dwell on all that we have in you, that God, we would become encouragers and we would speak hope and life into lives around us in need of hope and life. And may this be for your kingdom and for your glory. For we pray this in the name of Jesus. And in your name we say, Amen. And may the Lord encourage you this time.